Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Chat Autism with Generation Rescue. We're so excited to have you with us for another great podcast in 2017. I'm your host and Generation Rescue's National Programs Manager, Julio Bradovic. Joining us today is a very special guest. He's actually worked closely with Generation Rescue for some time now. He's presented at our annual summits, and he's even appeared on the show before. He currently serves as president for World Stem Cells Clinic, which is a premier destination for stem cell therapies in the world. He's Dr. Ernesto Gutierrez, our leading specialist in using stem cells to treat autism spectrum disorders. Dr. Gutierrez, we are so thrilled to have you with us again today. Welcome back to Chat Autism, and thanks for being here. Hello, Julie. Thank you for the nice introduction. I like the way you say your last name. As a, as a <laughs> I used to be a oh. Spanish teacher, so Gutierrez. So I'm thrilled that you're with us again. Um, stem cell therapy is so interesting. I'm a mom of an affected daughter on the spectrum myself, and I've been, a, been in the biomedical journey for quite some time now, and this is definitely something that did not present itself as an option to me about 15 years ago, so I'm, I'm very, very interested in learning what you have to say today. So I guess we'll just start there. So for people like myself who really don't know that much about stem cell, cell therapy, can you tell us what it's all about and how it works? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'd be happy to do it. In fact, it's not just, uh, it's funny that you say it that way because it's not just uh, uh, parents or patients who, who really don't have a very clear idea of what stem cell therapy is. I present regularly at, at forums with physicians, different specialties. I was just at the American Academy of Anti Aging Medicine two weeks ago uh, presenting a similar conference. And, uh, and, and it's it was shocking at first to realize that many physicians don't really fully understand what stem cell therapy is. I'm not going to say that they don't know what stem cells are, but they don't, they don't fully understand what it can do. And it's actually quite simple. The stem cells are our body's own repair mechanism, just, just to put it very, very simply. Um, whenever, whenever we are living life and uh, every day is wear and tear, so if you fall down, you scrape a knee, and that's, uh, your, your skin is bruised, something has to come and fix it. So what happens is that it's really a stem cell that, that arrives to that place and it becomes that tissue. Uh, when we were growing, we had a lot of stem cells and these stem cells are developing into different specific tissues and they eventually become, uh, they become bones and muscle and lungs and heart and all these different organs. Our body today has stem cells circulating. Your body, my body, everybody who's listening, uh, they have stem cells circulating. These stem cells are, are fixing and repairing whatever whatever's broken, uh, or not not necessarily broken, but injured uh, from everyday wear and tear. So, for instance, if you, I hope nobody who's listening is a smoker, but if you were a smoker, uh, then you're constantly injuring your lungs. So stem cells have to come in regularly and start repairing. And the difference, that's, that's what stem cells do, and what we refer to as stem cell therapy is when we grab a patient's or somebody else's stem cells, concentrate them in a manner of increasing their numbers so we get large numbers of these stem cells, and, and then give them back to the patient usually into specific areas where we want them to act. So, so there, are, there are specific uses for it and in orthopedics for instance that they go into a knee or they go into a hip or they go into into different joints uh, into muscles 
into the lungs, we've used an IV, and, and, and basically that's, that's the difference between saying stem cells, we all have stem cells, and then saying stem cell therapy. Stem cell therapy is a medical process by which we grab these stem cells, we concentrate them, and we re-administer them to a patient. Awesome. Well, it's very, very, very exciting, and it sounds also equally promising. So you've actually talked to our audience about this before. Have there been any new developments in, you know, into the benefits or the treatment modalities or anything at all since you last talked to us about this? Yes, as a matter of fact, and this is, this is quite exciting. Um, you know, being, being probably the newest uh, or one of the newest fields in, in medicine, uh, when we talk about regenerative medicine and stem cell therapeutics in, 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 in particular, what we've been seeing is that the first couple of years, we've been doing this for since 2010, um, and the first couple of years was struggle because people had the idea that stem cells were either completely miraculous, that you could grow a, a limb again, or the <laughs> total scam and you're going to get cancer from them. So that, that was the belief that we had across the board, and that's including physicians and that's including uh, lay, lay people. So really we're a lot, of, with most things, we're a lot closer to the middle uh, where we're no, neither miraculous but also they're not a scam. So the first couple of years was really convincing people. Um, you know, I know that, that we're going to talk a little bit further uh, into our, our, our conversation today about why uh, this process can be done in certain countries and cannot be done in others. Um, so, so that also played a, a, a big role in, in terms of, of understanding and of getting people involved. And little by little, we've, we've been learning a lot. But the last couple of years, probably for the last two years, we've really started catching the eye of a lot of different uh, practitioners, a lot of different high-profile patients in, in different fields. But it was really, I, I want to say it's really the practitioners who actually suddenly stopped and said, okay, something's different with this patient. What have you been doing? And when they started hearing over and over, oh, we went for stem cell therapy in Cancun, we had stem cell therapy in Cancun, we had stem cell therapy in Cancun, they started getting interested. And, uh, and, and it, also, it also happened at a time when our team, which we didn't start as autism experts at all, we were, we were developing stem cell therapeutics in general, and uh, suddenly we started treating a lot of kids within the spectrum, and uh, we decided that we wanted a group of our physicians, uh, myself included, to specialize and to learn more about autism, not just about stem cells, but about autism and treatment. So, so we have the only stem cell therapy team that is actually MAPS trained. All of our, all of our physicians are MAPS trained, not because we want to, to now be primary care physicians for kids within the spectrum, but because we want to understand these things. And right. being able to work with all these practitioners has allowed us over the last two or three years to really tweak our process, and that's why we have a five-day process that, that involves a couple of things before and a couple of things after the stem cell therapy that have been yielding much better results. So we're getting much better at, uh, at harvesting. We get much larger numbers than what we were getting before. I mean, the first couple of patients that we treated – uh, and these numbers might not mean a lot to you or to many of the people listening, but we were getting, for instance, 50, 60 million cells. Right now, some of our patients are getting up to 2 billion cells. Wow. So going from 50 million to 2 billion is a huge, huge increase, and, and, and we're getting them more honed into the areas that were, where they're needed. Now we understand, because we didn't know this before, that, that autism isn't so much 
uh, it's not a neurological disease, but it's more like a, like a gut disorder and immunological disease that manifests itself and, and by affecting the central nervous system. So now we're, we're addressing these things, and we're seeing improvements in terms of some of these patients, they're clearing their, their toxic load much better. Uh, their heavy metals are, are, are lowering much, much better. Um, it was actually one of the practitioners who got back to us and said, you know what, I don't know what you did, but we've been doing chelation, we've been doing all these different things with, with my patients for years, and certain metals were always at a, at a specific level, and after stem cell therapy, boom, now they're great. So we looked into it, and, uh, and from talking to some of these physicians, talking to, to our research team, um, you know, we figure out, you know what, must be fixing something uh, in the gut. It's, it's probably healing the gut lining, and, and not a lot of things are coming through, so it's helping them detox better. Um, most of our patients, or a lot of the patients, start uh, being able to speak. They, they become verbal. Once again, I'm not going to say that they suddenly start reciting Shakespeare, but do go maybe to, if they were nonverbal, they may go to one or two words. If they were one or two words, they may go to three or four word uh, sentences. So, so these are all improvements that, that now we know, and, and now we have tools to give parents after stem cell therapy. Because everything that you do, mostly after, before as well, but mostly after stem cell therapy is just as important to the process itself. You will see that most clinics focus on, oh, well, you know, we did this, and our stem cell treatment does whatever, and then while you're here... But nobody cares what happens afterwards. And it's actually that period of time, the first four to six weeks after the, the treatment that are crucial into the improvement of a patient. And, and we've learned this from, from a lot of years. So we're very excited because this has come from other practitioners who have actually approached us and said, you know what, we want to continue working with you guys. Um, and, and they come down with their patients. They participate in the treatment and, and they see what we're doing. So, so it's it's become very very empowering. It's it's great news for the for the entire community, really. It really is. I mean, that's that's so exciting. Those developments and that kind of evidence that we're seeing that kids are making these wonderful improvements. I mean, for all of us, you know, we're we're so passionate about helping our kids to the greatest extent possible. So this is very very exciting. So, at a more technical question now, um, there are all kinds of stem cells, right? So. What is the difference, for example, of a stem cell that might come from an umbilical cord versus a stem cell that could come from someplace else? How do they? How are they oh. different? All right, so we're going to get technical. Okay. Um, <laughs> let, me know if, let me know if I if I do get a little bit too technical. Uh, but you know what? Over these these last couple of years that I've been that I've been working and I've been fortunate enough to serve the, the autism community, I've learned that most autism parents are incredibly well uh, educated in, 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 in biology. I understand most of these terms, so I'm, so I'm just going to jump in with both feet. Um, okay. Really what happens, we have, we have two main sources or two groups of stem cells depending on, uh, on where they come from, right? So we have autologous stem cells and allogeneic stem cells. Autologous stem cells are the stem cells that come from each patient. So it doesn't matter if we got them from cord blood if we got them from cord tissue, if we got them from fat, from bone marrow, it doesn't matter. If we're going to use those stem cells with the same patient, that's autologous. Then if we want to use donated stem cells, which most commonly is the case with uh, cord blood cells, then that becomes allogeneic because 
it has a different genetic code. So, Got for it. instance, if, if, if somebody, you know, if you have a baby, you donate the, the stem cells, um, and you use them again with that same baby, that's an autologous transplant. However, if you, if you donate those and somebody else uses them, you know, after expansion, they can be used thousands of times, so a thousand different people can benefit from them, then those are allogeneic cells. Okay. Now, when we talk about how mature and immature, really, stem cells from cord blood, people think that, well, they, they, they come from a newborn. Sure. But they're already mature. So they're adult stem cells. They're not immature. They're not embryonic, which, uh, which have, are the ones that have a lot of issues. Um, and, and they have a lot of issues because we haven't been able to, we haven't been allowed to really study them. Um, most, most researchers, um, they, they agree with, with, with this statement that, you know, embryonic stem cells are probably the future because they are so much more powerful. Think about it. One of these embryonic stem cells can give rise to a whole person. So, mm-hmm. so they're a lot more powerful. However, one, the method of, 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 of getting them, there are a lot of ethical, um, ethical challenges there. And then the other one is because they are so powerful, we cannot control them easily. So those are the ones I would, I would strongly discourage anyone from seeking out embryonic stem cells at this time. Uh, Got it. The, you know, the cost benefit is simply, is simply not, not justifiable. Unless you had somebody with, you know, a terminal disease, you're talking about people with ALS, uh, things like that, and, and, and they just, you know, they're really literally at the last, uh, at the last option, then, then you might consider them. But for, for, you know, a lot of the times patients uh, or parents of kids within the spectrum, they contact us and say, you know what, should we instead do embryonic? I always say, you know what, not at this time. So anyway, okay. uh, once we have, like, once we understand the difference between the cells, I think it's important for me, for me to say that our group, uh, we're, we're part of a larger group, so World Stem Cells Clinic. We also have another clinic called ReHealth where we deal with other conditions. And we also have a very big research site. So we have a, a, a lab in Europe, Linden, California, where we develop all of our stem cell therapeutics. Uh, we don't do any treatments there. Uh, but we develop all of the therapeutics there. Now we've replicated the lab, and we can do pretty much the same thing in Cancun. Um, but what I wanted to say is that our group's core business is to manufacture allogeneic stem cells. So we get stem cells uh, donated from cord tissue, and we we create uh, we we expand them in order to create different dosages or different products. They're called cellular products for for therapeutic applications. And, and I always emphasize this because despite this fact that we do this, this is, this is our group's main business, we still employ autologous stem cell therapy for autism because we've seen that it works better, that it's more consistent, and, and that it gives us results quicker. So we, see, we, we, are, we know better how they're going to respond, and we can, we can sort of anticipate the kind of improvements that we're going to get with them. Plus, they're, they're really safe. Because um, most kids within the spectrum, they're otherwise healthy. Uh, they're still growing. They're 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 healthy weight. If they fall down, like we said earlier, they fall down, they scrape a knee, they break an arm, it still heals. So their stem cells are working well. The problem is that they're not in high enough numbers to really create a therapeutic improvement. So all we need to do is just harvest those stem cells, expand them, increase their numbers, and then give them back at once. Got it. That makes sense. You know, that makes sense. And it's really exciting, like I said, very exciting. 
Yeah, now there, oh. are, there are other conditions where you might want to use somebody else's cells. And, okay. uh, and, and, and we'll, we can discuss those in, 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 in a little bit because they're really not pertaining to, to autism. But when you talk about autoimmune disorders and, and, and certain conditions that might have a clear genetic predisposition, then sure, it does make sense to bring in somebody else's genetic material. Right, right. Okay, awesome. Well, this, like I said, I mean, I'm fascinated by all of this, and I, I could talk to you about this all day. One of the things that you mentioned earlier was about some of the, um, uh, I don't know if it's a challenge or what the situation is, if you want to expand on it, that you, your clinic is in Mexico. It's not in the United States. Um, can you speak about that a little bit versus, you know, what are you able to offer in Mexico that you might not be able to do so here in the United States? And why do you think that, the United States maybe hasn't moved in the same direction. Well, every every country has their rules, and every country has their regulatory agencies. In the case of the U.S., um, the FDA has a very clear process um, to approve of therapeutic interventions. Now, what happens, and, and the really the, the the big challenge here is understanding. I believe that the FDA is is employing an outdated process for judging stem cell therapeutics, and I'll tell you why. The whole phase one, phase two, phase three, and all these clinical trials, it's a very long process. It has been designed, it has been put in place for, for many years, since, since many years ago, and uh, its purpose is to ensure the, or to demonstrate the safety and efficacy of pharmaceuticals, right? Mm-hmm. So whenever somebody, whenever a lab came up and, and developed a synthetic drug, and that, that can address certain conditions, of course they had to go through safety. First, you, you need to make sure that it's going to be safe for human consumption. Then you need to do uh, uh, you know, those, dosage controlled studies to see, okay, so what are the dosages that we can handle? And then you figure out and say, okay, are, is it having the results that, that we think it should have? And is it not having uh, enough side effects that, that, it, that the cost benefit is, is, is positive? Now, all these things, they have, they're very expensive, very expensive, and they're very long. So we're talking 10, 15 years. Um, what happens in other countries is that they don't see stem cell therapy or stem cell therapeutics as, they don't see the stem cell infusion itself as a drug, just like the FDA considers it. The FDA says, okay, if you harvest a, pa- a patient's own stem cells, or if you have somebody else's own stem cells and you manipulate them in any way, shape, or form, whether it is to separate the rest of the cells, whether it is to spin them and, and, and concentrate their numbers, whether, I mean, not to mention expansion or anything more like that, uh, now it becomes a drug. So in order for us to allow you to use a drug, you need to do all of these different, you know, the phase one, phase two, phase three, 15 years, long-term follow studies, follow-up studies. So, so really, that's that's what's been happening. They're they're judging uh, stem cell therapeutics as a drug when it's a biological uh, intervention, and other countries don't do that. That's, okay, that's, that's pretty much the end of it. I mean, people think that, uh, and I know, and I'm not here to 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 break down any stereotypes. I've I've, I've given up on, on on fighting stereotypes many many years ago. Uh, but people at first sometimes they thought, well, they're doing it in Mexico because they think that Mexico is the Wild West. Uh, but in reality, we have a regulatory body that's just as strict as the FDA, except that they, they follow different guidelines. 
but sure. should we adhere by them? And we have our operational licenses, and we have our permits, and we have our inspections, and, and we have everything. And just as a funny fact, our lab is built up to FDA specifications. So, okay. so if it was allowed in the U.S., it would have to be on a lab just like the one that we built down down in Cancun. Uh, our facility, same thing, it's, it's, it's built up to, to, to European standards because we deal mostly with medical tourism. Our patients come from the U.S., they come from Canada, they come from, from Europe, they come from Australia. We've had patients in Dubai, we've had patients from Russia, we've had patients literally from all over the world. So we need, we need to have a place where that it's, that it's up to the, the best standards in the world. And that's what we do. It's, it's not really something that, you know, we're doing it in Mexico because there's no rules. No, it's just simply the rules are different. There's other countries that allow these, these types of processes, such as uh, um, Costa Rica used to, and now and, and some of the clinics that were there now moved to Panama because Panama allows it. Um, some other countries in South America, I believe, uh, Colombia, Argentina, some countries in Europe, uh, Ukraine, uh, Germany did a lot of, of the initial research until they stopped it over there. Cyprus does it, China does it, uh, Thailand, uh, India, I mean, and on and on and on. There's a lot of countries that actually do allow it because they, they have different rules, but they still have rules. Right. Yeah, it sounds like it's a definition problem, honestly. You know, like they're just classifying oh. it incorrectly, which is presenting an obstacle. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. You're, you're going to get, you know, the, the, the work of, of some, some, some stem cell pioneers, uh, most notably Dr. Centeno uh, and Schultz a couple of years ago and, and, and their U.S. Uh, physicians, but they, now they have treatment centers outside of the U.S. Uh, for that same reason. They actually sued the FDA a couple of years ago um, because they weren't allowed to be using their patients' own stem cells um, for treatment. Obviously, they lost. And, and now they moved. Uh, they moved elsewhere because it's exactly what you say. It's, it's a problem definition. I don't necessarily believe in conspiracy theories. Some people comment like, "Oh, it's the pharma industry." I don't think that's the case. I think it's more, you know, it's just it's just badly defined and and it's right. a challenge. And unfortunately, the U.S. is lagging behind um, in in what a lot of the world is doing in terms of stem cell therapeutics. On the positive side, we are at a point. I mean. I know that most, most people in the U.S. would probably say, oh, no, that can't be true. Uh, but when you, start, when you really start looking at the rest of the world and see what the rest of the world is doing in, in several other areas, uh, you see that it is true. You see that there has been research for, for tens of years, 10, 20, 20 years in different stem cell therapeutics around the world. Um, it's simply that it's never been, been allowed around here. But what I was going to say is that on the positive side, we are now in an age where, where patients are more empowered than ever. And this is something that I'm super, super excited. And, and I'm, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm a super big advocate about it. And patients now can take control. They can take their own health and their family's health into their own hands and, and, and choose to go elsewhere. They can do their own research. Now, it is important to always have a professional that you can bounce ideas with um, because sometimes – there are certain nuances that you need to understand from, from your research and see if it applies to you or not. But it is, but it is very empowering as, as a patient, and for instance, in your case, as, as, the, as the mother of, of a patient, it is really empowering to know that, you know what, the information is out there. You can, you can really right. get it. You can educate yourself, and, and there are alternatives. You no longer have to take a, a no. Sorry, there's nothing we can do. Uh, you don't have to take that at face value. Right. 
Awesome. Well, okay, let's flip it around then. So um, I'm the mom. I'm looking for information into this. One of the first things I'm always going to want to know is what are the limitations and also are there any risks that are involved in this? Yes, absolutely. Well, you know what, there's a lot of limitations. And it's funny that you bring it up because uh, this is this is really – is the very first step in our process. You know, people visit our website and they can see our informational, um, you know, talks or podcasts like this. I actually, we actually recorded on video uh, my last talk at last year's um, Autism Summit um, in Dallas, and we have it available for people to watch, and it goes over a little over an hour, and we, we discuss exactly what we're doing. But really, when they when they decide to take the next step and and they they do request information and we get their medical intake form, one of the most important things of our conversation with them, we always we always schedule a conversation with one of our treating treating physicians, and it is it serves two purposes. One, so that the parents can actually ask specific questions about their child. At this point, we will already know their basic medical history, we already know how it's developed, we already know the biggest challenges and their expectations. Uh, so we can give them tailored specific information for, about the treatment for their kid. But it also serves us to be able to really communicate the limitations of our therapy. We need to be sure that the expectations are realistic. Because like I said at the beginning, most people tend to think that, you know what, if they're, if they're considering stem cell therapy and they, they, they think that I, they're going to make an investment out of pocket, they want to believe that this is going to be the, the, the one final cure and, and they're done with it. And as much as we would love to have something like that, it really right. isn't. So we need to gauge right. where, where we're at, where we're starting from, and where do we want to get. Normally what right. we do with parents is that we're going to help your your child get to the, to his or her next developmental milestone. So we cannot expect a, 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 you know, just to put an example, we cannot expect a six or seven year old boy who's, who has, who didn't respond to being potty trained, who's nonverbal, who, who has no eye contact or anything like that to, to get to a point after stem cell therapy that, that he's almost fully recovered. We can't, it just doesn't right. make sense. But what, it, what, what we can say is like, listen, you know what? We are going to see improvements in one or more of different areas. So whether it is going to be attention is going to improve, whether it is going to be on, on terms of uh, socializing or behavior, maybe you'll start getting some words or maybe we'll respond to potty training. Uh, and maybe it's going to be more than one area. As a matter of fact, we see the biggest improvements in the kids who are further into the spectrum. Um, However, we have to be very, very clear about what the limitations for your treatment are um, because it's, first and foremost, it's not the same for everyone. And, right. and, and two, we have to be very, very honest and we, want to, we have to be very upfront about what are our expectations as, as treating physicians. We cannot go in with those expectations and we want to make sure that the parents have those same expectations because remember that the right. kids, will know that they're undergoing a process. And last thing they need is to disappoint their parents. So, so we, we, all need, we all need to be on the same, on the same page here. And, and that's why we spend the time. Not a single person comes to a clinic without first speaking to one of our physicians. And, and this whole process is free. So at this point, they haven't even paid a thing. 
um, because we need to be certain that, that, that they know all of these different things. So, so in terms of, of, of limitations, basically what we're talking about is we would say maybe they're, they're going to reach their next developmental milestones as long as the parents do their part after treatment. So there are a couple of mm-hmm. recommendations that we'll always give them, and, and the, these are just as important as stem cell therapy themselves. So if you come down for stem cell treatments, and then you go back outside and you, and you stop by McDonald's to get lunch, you're not following the recommendations. So, so it is important to understand those things. It, it, it doesn't give you a free pass of certain things. You have to continue doing all the biomedical that you've been doing before, and you will right. might have to do some tweaks as well. You don't, we don't necessarily okay. add a lot of things because sometimes parents are like, oh, my God, I can barely keep up with what I'm doing. And no, no, no it's, it's, just, it's mostly about challenging your kids uh, intellectually, neurologically, so that they can start creating new neuronal pathways. So things as simple as change the layout of a room or, or change the order of the clothes in the drawer or even something even as simple as just, just switching the places where everyone sits at the table or in the car. Uh, things like that that will challenge them intellectually. And you're going to see that before that might, that might cause uh, your, your, your son or your daughter to throw a tantrum. But after stem cell therapy, it's really, it's really wonderful. Sometimes they stop and, and, and sort of like look around and they realize that they don't have to respond that way anymore and that they, right. now they have new alternatives. So, so really that's, that's, that's what we emphasize. Okay. Um, well, that's awesome. Terms- now, you mentioned before, you know, all of us as parents that are – so invested metaphorically, right, into helping mm-hmm. our children get better. We're also financially invested. So, um, oh, yeah. you know, insurance is a question a lot of people have. Is it covered by insurance? And it doesn't sound like it would be. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, and if not, what would be the average cost of this procedure? Yeah, at this time, at this time no insurance that we know of uh, covers a treatment like this for autism. Okay. Uh, we have had some parents, and, and admittedly they're the minority, um, maybe 2%, who have managed to file a claim with the insurance, and I don't know exactly what kind of insurance they have, um, uh, to, to file a claim and get part of it reimbursed. Because we're happy. We can, we can work with them. We can, we can provide itemized receipts, and we can break it down. Remember that we have a five-day process, so it involves a lot of, of doctor visits. They see five different specialists while they're here. Uh, we do we do baseline lab work. We sometimes we might have to do even an X-ray for for the lumbar puncture. It's things like that. So we can break those down. And sometimes parents do get reimbursed part of it, or maybe even the whole the whole thing in terms of maybe they get all of their doctor's fees or all of the labs or, or things like that. But it's not common. Um, and most and most people also choose not to have any any information into their medical records for whatever reason. Uh, which is something also that we'd like to, to say, we don't submit any information. Every, every, all the medical information that we generate, we believe, belongs to the patient. So we give the patient back, or the parents in this case, we give you back everything, all the originals, x-rays, lab uh, reports, everything. All the originals are yours. If you want to go back and share them with your physician, your insurance, your whomever, that's your call. If you want us to talk to your physicians, we're happy to do that. Um, but, but we don't make that call, and we're not obligated to do it. Um, the, average it. Cost, the average cost for the treatment right now is 19000 So we, we've actually made a package for autism. And, um, and while not every patient requires the exact same things, uh, they're all very similar. So we've, we've, we've narrowed it down, and, uh, and we've made a package, and it's 19000 but that includes everything. 
There's no added fees. There's no extra charges. There's no lab report. There's no, you know, printing fees or, 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 or anything extra on top of that. That includes all the medical, all the OR, all the time, transportation to and from the airport, to and from the clinic every day. Uh, that includes our amazing, we have an amazing team of uh, patient experience uh, coordinators, and they get in touch with the families before they come down. They help them choose a hotel. Uh, they make sure that they're going to have their specific dietary needs covered. We can even go shopping for them. We give them recommendations. So, so that whole service, that whole five-day, everything is included. That also includes uh, an eight-month, up to 10-month follow-up. Uh, with our physicians, so you just pick up the call and give us, a, and, and, and one of our physicians will get back in touch with you within uh, 48 business hours at the very, very latest, but a lot of times at the same day, if you have questions or anything like that, and we also have an improvement guarantee. At this time, while I cannot medically guarantee that a child is going to improve in any way, I can take that financial risk away from the parents. We understood that for parents, it was they're, they're, one of the big fears, once they understood how safe the treatment itself is, was making an investment of this magnitude and then not getting an improvement. And sure, I mean, they're not going to get worse, but they're not going to get an improvement. So it's almost like, what did we spend that money for? So, so what we do is, while we cannot, and once again, I would say very clearly why we cannot be certain that a child will receive an improvement, we do want to take the risk away from the parents. So if after eight months, and you continue doing the follow-ups and the recommendations that we gave you, and you continue going to, you know, the consults with, with your practitioner and, and, and basically trying to make the process work, and you still, we all agree that you still don't see an improvement and you want to have another treatment, the second treatment is completely free of charge, and you're going to get everything. So, so the, you know, the, the concierge and the doctors and the treatment, the whole thing, we're, we're not, I know that other places are like, it might not work the first time, and then you can come for a second, third, and fourth, and fifth, and sixth, and $15,000 a pop. That really adds up. So, so Okay, case, great. That's, that's really good. We do the evaluation. Yeah. yeah. That's why we do an evaluation. We want to make sure that, right. that our treatment is going, it has a realistic chance of improvement. And if it doesn't, or if, if, if it doesn't, if we don't think that it has a realistic chance of improvement, we won't accept the patient. Uh, but if we do accept the patient and we still follow the entire thing and we still think that, that it didn't really work because it, something happened, you know, medically, we really cannot tell everything. And, we, and, and, and it is guaranteed that we can give it a, another shot or the parents want to have another treatment, we'll do it free of charge. Okay. Well, you know what? Unfortunately, you know, I would love to talk to you as much as I could. I have so many more questions, but that is all the time <laughs> that we do have today. So, you know, I just want to thank you so much for not only sharing all of this incredible information with our GR families, but really just for pioneering this important therapy for our kids. You know, we we respect and admire uh, physicians like yourself that dedicate themselves wholeheartedly to our children so much, and we're we're really, really grateful to you. So, um, listeners, if you guys are interested in learning more, you can contact Dr. Gutierrez, reach him for consultation, and you can go to their website, which is at www.worldstemcellsclinic.com. One more time, www.worldstemcellsclinic.com, and that's all you know together, World Stem Cells Clinic. Um, and you'll also be joining us at our Autism Education Summit this fall in Dallas. So we're really excited you'll be with us for that. Um, can't wait to hear hear more there. 
Anyway, on that note, you know, thanks again for joining us. This has been another great show of Chad Autism for Generation Rescue. I'm your host, Julie Obradovic, and I really want you guys to join us next time as we continue to share more of the best information out there in the pursuit of providing health, healing, and hope to all of our children and families that are uh, dealing with an autism spectrum disorder. So thank you again, Dr. Gutierrez, and everybody, until next time, take care.